We're going to be reading from John chapter 19 this morning, some selected verses. Uh, This is the conveyance to us from John to the Holy Spirit of the ending period in Christ's life. Uh, His scourging, his denunciation by Pilate to hand him over to those who were screaming to crucify him. And then we'll see the actual aspects of the cruciation, a crucifixion, excuse me, and most importantly, the manifestation of those people that are there at the foot of the cross in the last hours of his life and the last words of his life. So we will start in John 19, verses 1 through 6, and then we'll go to 16 through 30. So those able, please stand for the reading of God's word. John chapter 19, verse 1 through 6. Then Pilate therefore took Jesus and scourged him. And the soldiers wove a crown of thorns, and they put it on his head and arrayed him in a purple robe. And they began to come up to him and say, Hail, King of the Jews, and to give him blows in his face. And Pilate came out again and said to them, Behold, I am bringing him out to you that you may know that I find no guilt in him. Jesus therefore came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe, and Pilate said to them, Behold the man. When therefore the chief priests and the officers saw him, they cried out, saying, Crucify, crucify. And Pilate said to them, Take him yourselves and crucify him, for I find no guilt in this man. Verse 16, so then they delivered him to them to be crucified. They took Jesus, therefore, and he went out bearing his own cross to the place called the place of the skull, which is in the Hebrew Golgotha. There they crucified him, and with him two other men, one on either side and Jesus in between. And Pilate wrote an inscription also, and it put it on the cross, and it was written, Jesus the Nazarene, the King of the Jews. Therefore, this inscription many of the Jews read, for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city, and it was written in Hebrew, Latin, and the Greek. And so the chief priests of the Jews were saying to Pilate, Do not write the king of the Jews, but only that he said, I am the king of the Jews. And Pilate answered, What I have written, I have written. The soldiers, therefore, when they had crucified Jesus, took his outer garments and made four parts, a part to every soldier and also the tunic. Now the tunic was sleeveless, woven in one piece. And they said, therefore, to one another, let us not tear it, but cast lots for it, to decide whose it shall be, that the scripture might be fulfilled. Psalm 22. They divided my outer garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. Therefore the soldiers did these things. But there was standing by the cross of Jesus his mother, and his mother's sister Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. And when Jesus therefore saw his mother 
and the disciples whom he loved standing by, he said to his mother, Woman, behold your son. Then he said to the disciple, Behold your mother. And from that hour the disciple took her into his own household. And after this, Jesus, knowing that all things had already been accomplished in order that the scripture might be fulfilled, he said, I am thirsty. A jar full of sour wine was standing there, so they put on a sponge full of the sour wine with a branch of hyssop and brought it up to his mouth. And when Jesus, therefore, had received the sour wine, he said, It is finished. And he bowed his head, and he gave up his spirit. Thus ends the reading of God's holy word. You may be seated. Amen. Thank you, Paul. Thank you, Hannah. Appreciate that so much. Uh, Just turn your uh, attention to the bulletin. A couple of things of interest. Um, Beginning on the 18th, we will have a Wednesday night Bible class in the Old Sanctuary from uh, 6.30 to 7.30. We won't be doing a uh, a youth program uh, this this summer, but we will have the Zim and uh, adult combined 6.30 to 7.30 on Wednesday night. We'll be studying 1 Peter. And uh, it'll run, the dates are right there in the, uh, in the bulletin. And then we're going to have a VBS. Uh, it'll be a four-day VBS, and th- you'll be hearing more and more about that June, uh, I think, 13th through the 16th. So looking forward to that. If you want to serve uh, in that area, you'll probably get a call from us. But uh, right now I have 22 volunteers, uh, 22 volunteers that are uh, ready to serve. And so we're being very proactive about that. It's good to be here this morning. Um, and I don't believe in coincidence, and you guys have heard me say that over the years from this pulpit. Uh, I went to see my dad uh, Thursday, and he's in Lampasas, and he's 87 years old. And uh, About two years ago, he was diagnosed with the early stage of dementia. And I have to tell you, as I have watched his brilliant mind, he was an engineer for IBM for 30-plus years, but as I have watched his mind, his memory deteriorate, uh, God, really, I feel very fortunate and blessed because uh, on that Thursday afternoon, we had quite a visit. It was wonderful, and um, it was just a reminder to me about the great reality of God's faithfulness and his love. And so it was good. So my brother lives there, and he graduated from A&M in 1994, and he was in the Corps, and he flew Apache helicopters for many years. He's retired now. And... While he was there, he came by, and I saw him. He said, I want you to come by the house. He says, I have something for you. I said, okay. So uh, they've been kind of gathering and cleaning out all of the <laughs> decades, century-old stuff that have been gathered with my mom and dad and my grandparents, uh, obviously, before them. I'm sure many of you probably have too much stuff that is in boxes and you haven't thrown away or maybe not gone through from pictures to many things. And so he, he came out and he gave me this Bible and it's engraved on front, the front, it says Aubrey L. Rogers. Uh, so my grandparents were married in August of 1917 and this uh, was inscribed, beautiful handwriting. It said to Aubrey, that was my grandfather's name, from NOLA, December 25th, 1917. It was their first Christmas together. And it's an old King James Version Bible and... Uh, I've just 
been just just going through it um, since Thursday. I haven't hardly let it out of my sight, and there's all kinds of stuff, some newspaper clippings in there. And Remember the old index cards? I got index cards and uh, just wrote some things down that must have meant a lot to her. And then there was a, uh, there was a, a card, a letter in here, and this is uh, dated in 1981. Now, I was gone at this point. I'd graduated from high school. I was gone. And the lady that wrote this card to my grandmother uh, was, um, her last name was Hudapol. Hudapol. And they, now I knew her because growing up, my grandmother had me in church from the time I was 4 to 14. And then I discovered Girls Gas and Go and I was gone. Um, but uh, so this wonderful lady, Jean Hudapol, in 1981, wrote this little letter to my grandmother. She goes, Dearest Nola, you talk about a voice from the past. I don't believe in coincidence uh, where we're at in the text that we'll be preaching out of this morning. Said, Dear Nola, Mom told me you were sick again. I'm sorry. I, I just wanted to tell you, I'm sorry. I love you very much. I'm very indebted to you for the inspiration you were to me as a very young adult. As a very young adult. My grandmother had known her for years. Uh, reaching out to know more about the Christian faith. The inspiration you gave to me. As a very young adult, reaching out to know more about the Christian faith. You and Al, my grandfather, both are beautiful examples of how Christians should be. And I'm thankful for knowing you. Get well soon as you can keep spreading the faith. In his love, Gene. Um, we've been studying in Colossians about, we're at that point in the text, we're talking about personal responsibility. And we're going to really be on the third week of that this morning. You know, Christianity comes with a personal responsibility. The scripture is very clear about that. I look back on my own life and I think about the people that have influenced me, that they all had something in common. I wouldn't have known it as a young person. I know it now, that they all understood that being saved by God, given the gift of the Holy Spirit, sealed with the Holy Spirit, having the promise of the Holy Spirit, the work of the Holy Spirit, as God has saved us and sealed us and been faithful to his promise, that, that as we live according to that, you can witness. You can witness the Christian man or woman, mother or father, individual, who is ap absolutely absolutely that is being guide, guided and led and taught by the Holy Spirit. You can see it. Fruits of the Spirit, Paul writes about them. You can see it. First John talks about, oh, you want to know if you're really a brother, I can tell you how to be a brother. Uses the word practice and practice and practice over again in First John. So it's evident. Those people who understand what God has done for them, they've been forgiven much, so they love much, they're thankful for much, and they're committed. The Christians were first called Christians in Antioch. You can read about it in the book of Acts. So what did that mean? 
It meant a follower of Christ, a follower of Christ. I've mentioned over the last several weeks, when you look at personal responsibility, we're supposed to be sweet aroma, salt, and a light from the Sermon on the Mount. We're supposed to be many things, but when people look at us, they're supposed to see the imprint of someone, the reality, the lifestyle of someone who is a follower of Christ. Now, so I did something this morning with the youth group. I had them uh, get the piece of paper out that you do with the little kids, and I had them trace their hand and, you know, uh, make their mom's a Mother's Day card. And, uh, uh, and then I made one for Melinda, Melinda Jenkins. I met her when I was 14, and uh, she very much, I can honestly say this about her, um, Paul was not at that point in his life. He wasn't. He had a different imprint on him. Um, no, you, you, listen, but, but Melinda has been another one of those people in my life that has, she's not perfect. Uh, she would be the first to tell you. She, well, Paul would be the first to tell you she's not perfect. No, but she would. But you can see the imprint, the, the reality of someone who is indebted to God through Christ because what he has done for her. And so I'm grateful for that. I, I will tell you, going back to my grandmother, interestingly enough, um, so I, I know I was in junior high, and I remember this Mother's Day lesson. It's resonated with me for years, and it has to do with this. The Sunday school teacher told us to go home that Sunday and ask your grandfather if you know, about the grandmother or your mom, your dad about your mom, you said, what is it that you love about my grandmother? What is it that you love about my mom? And so we, I remember that because I remember the class and we went to lunch as we always did at my grandmother's house and she would get home and Anna, by the way, she played the piano and she played the pipe organ. Now, Another thing that my brother gave me was a plate. You know, the old decorative plates? He said, Woodlawn United Methodist Church. And he said, hey, this is, he says, doesn't mean anything to me. I know it means something to you. But it's a Catholic church now. But I went in recently, and the, the, uh, the Monsignor was there. And they have this historic old pipe organ in there. And my grandmother played the pipe organ or the piano. She whatever it would call for. And she just... Uh, had a great, so every, when I hear you singing and leading us in worship, it always takes me back to my grandmother as well. So, but anyway, so he told us to ask the question. So, and I remember this for two reasons, because uh, one in particular, but so when I asked my grandfather, I said, Hey, what do you love most about grandma? And at this point, they've been married 50 years. They were, in, they were married 67 years. Uh, and you know what he said? And it just resonated, and that's why it stuck with me all these years. He said, I love a lot of things about your grandma. And I said, yeah, but I mean, you're supposed to tell me one. And that was this. I'm telling you, ask him one thing, you know. Uh, and he thought about it, and he was my greatest mentor and my best friend and just loved him. My dad was always working all the time, so his granddad, he was, he was there. I was, he was just there, and she was as well. And, and he said, you know what I love the most about your grandmother? And uh, uh, he made a funny statement that I'm not going to repeat. Uh, but it had to do, it, it was not crude at any, but just about how pretty she was. She was a beautiful woman. 
Uh, but then he laughed in the way he did, and, and uh, he said, she, does, she, she just doesn't get her feelings hurt. And I remember that. I thought, you know, he's right. And I could bear that out. They always put everything in a spiritual realm. I didn't know it then. I, now I very clearly, uh, but he said, she just doesn't get her feelings hurt. She was such a great servant, and, but she just served. She served the church. She served, obviously, the younger women in the church. Uh, she served her husband. She served uh, her family. She just served. And, and I've thought back, and I remember the fact that he would say that so clearly. He, he, he would say, she just doesn't get her feelings hurt very easy. And I thought, as I'm a Christian now and years older, I thought to myself, you know, what a great gift. Because you talk about spiritual warfare. Wow, and it's rampant in the church. You Satan, he plays games with you. you know, church folks getting their feelings hurt, you know. But it was true about her. And so I had to ask my grandmother. I said, what do you love most about Grandpa? And this was so true. And he used to say this, and she used to say this to me. Um, she said, and I almost should have just known she was going to say it. She said, you know, he lives by a creed. One of his creeds that I love, and I've seen him live according to it, said he would say, if you don't have something nice to say about somebody, don't say it. He did that. He said it. And I can tell you he lived it. I was 29 years old when he died, and uh, I was paying attention from about age 25 and older. I was loving and being loved, but boy, I was paying attention. But he's such a significant man in my life. And, and I saw him. She was not easily offended. Satan didn't have a foothold there, and I can honestly say I've known a handful of people in my life, maybe less than five, once you get to know them intimately, uh, that I can say one of them was an elder that I served 14 years with. And then my grandfather, I never heard the man say anything disparaging about anybody. He just didn't do it. Now, that's pretty powerful. Now, why am I telling you that? We get to the text here. So this lady, this wonderful lady, this Mrs. Hudipole, my grandmother uh, had a heart attack uh, in 1986. The Lord saved me in February of 1985. And, uh, and so it, it, was, it was a massive heart attack. She lingered for a couple of days in the hospital. She died. Uh, Jean came up to the hospital, and she was older then, but she was... Uh, at least 15 years younger than my grandmother. Those, those older women were teaching the younger women. And she said something to me. She said, I need you to know something about your grandmother. And it, it's a little bit difficult for me to tell you this, but she was a part of the Women's Guild there at the Woodlawn United Methodist Church. And, and uh, I'm a Christian now. And I'm just learning and living a different life. But I was a newborn Christian. And in the hospital, she said, uh, you, you, you need to know this. Your grandmother prayed and believed for uh, all the years that I knew her serving at the church there for many years. She prayed and believed you were going to be a preacher. She never said that to me. I never heard it. If she did, I don't recall it. I didn't start preaching until 1992, so it was several years after that. And I can assure you, 
I can absolutely assure you um, before the Lord, uh, there was no inkling in my mind, no desire to preach, no, um, I would have, if you had told me that I would preach, I would have said, I just wouldn't have believed it at any level for any reason. So, but I remember uh, Jean telling me that my grandmother passed away, I believe it was the next day. And then in 1992, you know, you talk about the power of a prayer and the series of events, and I'm not going to share that with you, but you can be quite sure it was only the hand of God, and I had nothing to do with it, nothing at all. Couldn't have had anything to do with it. Wouldn't have had anything to do with it. And so, I, and I didn't know. I guess from the time I was born in 1959, because she said, as long as she could remember, she, would, she was so proud of you, and she talked so in loving all of her grandchildren. I got to spend a little more time with them than the others. I, I, I don't believe I was the favorite in that, but I had that relationship. Now I had a, but I believe probably from the time I was very young, she had prayed that, that I would be a preacher and that I would preach. Why am I telling you that? I don't believe in coincidence. That was not going to be a part of my lesson this week. It was going to be out of Colossians. So I want you to turn to Colossians very quickly. And uh, I know it's Mother's Day, so I'm not going to preach real long. Praise God. Amen. Um, but in that third chapter where we've been preaching in the text out of, uh, in this list of personal responsibility, I'm going to start at verse 12. And so... As those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved. Holy and beloved. You, if you're a Christian, you have been chosen by God. You did not choose him. You can't find anywhere in the New Testament covenant, Old Testament covenant, in the theology. It's God that chooses. It's God that makes the covenants. And it's God who keeps the covenants. We don't make them and we don't keep them, but he does. And so if you're saved, God has chosen you. And, and if you, I, I don't, I do know why it's a struggle for us to accept that because we'd like to think we had something to do with it. And maybe that makes us more noble or something. I don't know. Um, Satan knows. He would know the answer to that question. And so those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, Personal responsibility. Put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bearing with one another and forgiving each other. Whoever has a complaint against anyone, anyone. You got a complaint against anyone? We'll hearken back to that. Just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. And above all these things, put on love which is the perfect bond of unity. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Now, if you go to Galatians in the third chapter of Galatians, Paul makes a comment, and he says, if you have been baptized into Christ, you have been clothed with Christ. So if you have been baptized, you've been clothed. That Greek word, uh, clothed, 
it's, it also is put on. And I mentioned that last week. So if you've been baptized with Christ, you, you, something's happened. Christ has been put on you. You've been clothed with it. You know, the scripture says that you and I would have a robe of righteousness that would come from God through Christ alone. So uh, if, you've, if you've been baptized in Christ, you, you put him on. He's put you on. You put, he's there. The, there's a unity now. He inspired it all. He led it all. He, he made it all work. And so now there is a clothing that we have. We've been clothed with Christ so if you were to go to Ephesians, and then you go to Ephesians chapter 4, uh, Paul says, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beg you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling of which you've been called. That literally means for Paul, if you want to break that down, his, he's begging to Christians. He said, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beg you to walk in a manner, live in a manner worthy of your calling. The calling for Paul was always the cross. It was always the cross. I've preached that sermon before. So what Paul is saying to a Christian, he's saying, I'm begging you to live in a manner worthy of the cross. That's what it is. Christianity, to be a follower of Christ, is a plea to the carnal side of us that have, we have the promise of the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Is I, Now, if I'm not sure, if I'm trying to figure this thing out, if the Bible's a little hard for me to fully digest and it's, it's going to take a lifetime, here's what I can know. If you really want to break it down, you want it to be easy, you want the example, not a example, the example, the only example, live your life in a manner worthy of the cross. That's it. Christian, follower of Christ, first called Christians in Antioch, live your life in a manner worthy of the cross. And so if you continue to read in that Ephesians chapter 4, you're going to see the same list that you see here about the clothing, the putting on. And it has to do with the cross. Now, Paul just read in John chapter 19, there, there is this thing going on. They, they took his garments. They cast lots for his garments. He had a, a robe and a tunic and and it was such a despotic picture, stripping, taking everything from a man. Nailing him to a cross wasn't enough. Spitting on him wasn't enough. Putting a hood over his head, banging his face as his hooded head was covered. and Driving down a, thorns into his head, whipping him. If that wasn't enough. They'd strip him of his clothes. There's a list here. It says compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bearing with one another, forgiving each other. Whoever is a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. And beyond all these things, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. So if I ask you, if I ask you to, I want you to do a list, and I want your definition of the list. I want you to, you to do the list. And you say, okay, compassion. I'll define compassion this way. I'll define kindness this way. I'll define humility this way. 
gentleness, patience, forbearance, forgiveness. That's how I'll do it. Love, unity, peace. That's how I, I'll define it this way. And, and maybe your definition almost always would be relative to what you, your experience is in life. How would that list of defined list, how would it compare to the clothing of Christ that they couldn't take from him on the cross? The cross is the great intersection of all humanity. It is the great intersection in your life. It is the great point in your life where your life will have utter and complete meaning or be utterly, completely meaningless. Did you hear that? People spend their whole life looking for meaning. And it's usually based upon something we've been taught, the circumstances of our life, our environment, our own selfishness. And the cross stands at that, and it redefines everything. I might believe any number of things about any of these things, but if it's not based upon the clothing of Christ, the putting on what he put on, what he donned, what he wore on that day of Golgotha, then it's meaningless. It's just meaningless. So, we'll go through this quickly. Go to John, Gospel of John, chapter 19 again. Open your Bibles. In verse 23 through 27. So I don't know how you define compassion. I don't know. Here's the, the cross putting on clothing of compassion. The soldiers, therefore, when they had crucified Jesus, took his outer garments and made four parts, a part of every soldier, uh, to every soldier, and also the tunic. Now the tunic was seamless, woven in one piece. They said, therefore, to one another, let us not tear it, but cast lots for it. Decide whose it shall be. Listen to this, folks. I don't know if you, you, you could probably miss this. Let us not tear it, but cast for it to decide whose it shall be, that the scripture might be fulfilled. They divided my outer garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. Where does that come from, by the way, that verse? It's from the 22nd Psalm. You read the four different Gospels. Uh, you're going to see the 22nd Psalm is referenced. And in one of the Gospels, when they make a reference to the 22nd Psalm, that's when he says, Eloi, Eloi, Sabachthani. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? So when they mock him according to the 22nd Psalm, he cries out, reminding them of how the 22nd Psalm Starts. So you and I may sing Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me, and it makes us feel good, and we believe it. Let me tell you, 2,000 years ago on the cross, when he cried out loudly, he was singing a song, and he was singing a song that they were criticizing him with out of the song that was the song of this suffering Savior. God did not turn his back on him at that point. He was giving them a Bible lesson. 
And if you read that 22nd Psalm, you will see. They criticized him twice using the 22nd Psalm. He cried out in the 22nd. The start of that song, and everybody in that crowd knew exactly what he was referencing. And it was a great picture of compassion. Therefore, the soldiers did these things. They did them. But they were standing by the cross of Jesus' mother and his mother's sister, the wife of Clophus and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus, therefore, saw his mother and the disciple who he loved standing nearby, he said to him, his mother, woman, behold your son. And then he said to the disciple, behold your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her into his own household. I've said this before. And I want to clarify it. I think uh, of all uh, the people who had been born and it were witnessing this terrible, gross, evil display of the, the lack of conviction men have, the level of selfishness we have, the wrong-mindedness of religion, And I look at this moment, and I just, there's only one word that comes to me, and it's compassion. You could do a search of compassion. But I've said this before about women, or the people that were in that crowd, the only one that didn't betray him was his mother. Now, I'm going to clarify that. You, if you read, I was asking college. I did this for the men's breakfast yesterday. And so uh, the last month of college and the biblical studies and one of the great professors, uh, there was a panel of them. They said, before we give you a degree in, from the College of Biblical Study and a certificate for ministry of readiness, you've got to break down the events of the crucifixion and you've got to illustrate for us the high points. And that was simple, right? So you had 15 individuals that were going to be graduating, getting ministry for a certification for readiness of ministry, a degree in Bible. And uh, so we did it. And this is the week before our final finals. And, 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 and the professors, that we, I think they got a lot of, I think they got a little kick out of it. Not in an ugly way, but they wanted to show us something. It's just, so when, when, when preachers preach and Christians think about the cross, and the events, the significant of events of the cross. Forgive them, Father, they don't know what they're doing. The Roman centurion, surely this man was the son of God. The, the, the criminal on the cross who's asking, remember me when you come into paradise, your paradise. But you know, in all four gospels, there's as much or more detail written in each one of the gospels about the women at the cross, every gospel, the, all the other, all four gospels, the gospel writers wrote about Mary Magdalene, all the Marys, there were several Marys, every one of them, and not just from the cross, but at the tomb, and running to the disciples to say, the Lord, he's, he's, he's risen, the women. They didn't betray him. And so when I say this about Mary, here's what I want to say to you. I believe there was only one person in that crowd 
I believe there was only one that would have gladly taken his place on the cross. And that was his mother. I believe that. I believe of all the people there, we had some great, uh, Nicodemus went and he, you know, Jesus was born in a borrowed barn and he was buried in a borrowed grave. <laughs> the king of kings. Born in a borrowed barn. Buried in a borrowed grave. It was borrowed because he wasn't staying. And stripped of all of his clothes. And I believe there were people that loved him and cared for him and were committed to him. But only one would have gone on that cross. I believe it. I believe she would have gladly taken those nails for him. I just believe that. And as much as Jesus Christ was the son of God, he was also the son of man. Humanity. And that, that humanity was a woman. It was his mother. And when I read this list, I believe that as much as he knew about compassion and gentleness and kindness and patience and from God the Father, I believe there was a reason God chose Mary. And I believe she'd had a tremendous influence in his life that had to do with compassion and gentleness and patience and kindness. I just believe that. I believe you ought to believe that. In Job, the ninth chapter, Job said, he said it. He said, who am I? I'm just a man. I, I need someone. I, I, I can't take God to court. I, I can't take him. I need someone who can touch God and touch me. And then I would not be afraid in my bones. He was tempted in everything, and yet he, did not t he, he didn't sin. And so, as we, we, we're not going to be able to do it for time's sakes this morning, I'm going to really build on this next week I, I, because it's that important. But I want you to start thinking as we approach next Sunday, and you're celebrating Mother's Day today. I want you to think about this list. It's so well written. But I'd like for you to think about it in terms of this. What have you put on? We don't, we've talked about what you put aside and what you should consider dead. But what have you put on? What have you put on? And what do you put on daily? Uh, we're going to develop this entire list next week. There'll be no doubt in your mind. And it won't be because I could eloquently or not eloquently speak it, but it'll be because the scripture very clearly defines it. All of this, all of this, all of this, every one of these verses, you could, you should, if you really want to get ahead of the game, every one of these verses, I did one compassion, but kindness, gentleness, humility, patience, forgiveness, love, peace, and gratitude. Every one of these verses now is a, it, it is a, a harmony of the crucifixion. Every one of these verses that teach us about all of these things, they, they all 
are based upon the doctrinal, theological truth of every one of these that have to do with the crucifixion of Jesus. Paul would write to Galatians, it's no longer I who live because I have been crucified. It's no longer I who live because I have been crucified with Christ. All of you who have been baptized into Christ have been buried with him, recreated to walk in newness of life. So I want you to, it's nice. I'm very grateful. I, I cannot tell you how grateful I am. I just cannot to have the influence of uh, godly people in my life. Ultimately, what I was seeing was people, people that understood this. I was a wretched human being. There was nothing good in me. I was dead in my trespasses and sin. And God saved me. But God, being rich in mercy, saved me. And I have been saved by grace through faith and that not of myself. So that I have nothing to boast about. And that God chooses the foolish to overcome the wise and the weak to overcome the strong and the debased and the despised and the things that are not so that no man can exalt himself. That's who I was. And I am still a wretched man. Paul would say that he was a wretched man in Romans 7. He would say that I am the chief of all sinners. I'm still a wretched man. I'm still a chief sinner. But by the grace of God, I have been saved. And he has made me righteous. And he has clothed me with a robe of righteousness. And I had nothing to do with it. And so all I can do is just as the 107th Psalmist would write, all I can do now is let me tell you about it. Just let me tell you. Let me tell you. Let me tell you about the loving kindness of God. Let me tell you that he's slow to anger and he's full of love and that he wouldn't, that one would perish. Right there in 1 Peter. He is abounding in love. He's compassionate. He's slow to anger. And that he, unlike the church, <laughs> he would, that would, none would perish. If you're a Christian today, I hope, that you would understand the significance of the clothes that Jesus Christ put on and wore to the cross. And it wasn't his outer garments. And then why did he do it? And then what is your personal responsibility to that? I'd hope that you and I could be the kind of people that serve God for him and not for ourselves. I, the thing I'm going to finish here, I know what was true about my grandmother was true because I think she never got her feelings hurt because she knew who she was in the Lord. And she didn't need recognition. She just flat didn't need it. 
She didn't get her feelings hurt when things didn't go her way. She didn't demand her way. I saw it again in my grandfather. I just saw it. I never heard the man, never heard him say even anything that resembled a harsh word. I, I just never heard it. Why? Because of the influence of the Holy Spirit in their lives, their commitment to it. And I believe more than anything, it's because they both understood the sacrifice that was made on their behalf, the compassion, the gentleness, the patience, the humility, the forbearance, the forgiveness. I believe they understood it. And so the only personal responsibility that they could have then was, I'm living for Christ. And I'm living for Christ. I'm putting on the same clothes he's putting on. I hope you've been challenged to think about that in relationship to your own Christian life this morning. I, I really do. I'm looking forward to going through this extended list in its entirety. I think you'll be challenged by it. Because the one thing the cross does, it challenges us. If it doesn't, Man, there's no hope for us, but we're going to pray in the name of our hope. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we're, our hope is in you. Our hope is in you. Our dedication is to you and for you. Our need, oh, our great need, Father, comes from an emptiness that we're lacking. We are lacking, Father. We're lacking in the the compassion and the humility and the patience and the, we're just lacking, Father. And so, our hope and our need is a voice that cries out to you, Father. Fill us. Fill us, Father. Clothe us. Guide us. Teach us. And Father, we trust you to do these things. Just as we have trusted you to save us, we trust you to accomplish your perfect will in our life. And we trust you because of the, of the one that was so well clothed on that cross, appearing naked and beaten to the world. He indeed was the prince of peace to a dark, broken world. And it's in his name, in the name of Christ, we pray. Amen.